Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World, Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step-by-step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it. And I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. My guest ruled the dance floor in 1995 with hit after hit that you know. Prior to that, however, he grew up in the streets of the Windy City, known as Chicago, overcoming all that life threw at him to become a successful producer and DJ of music that people enjoy dancing and listening to. And along the way, he even made a social commentary of a sort by composing a song to counter the sexist attitudes and derogatory comments regarding women's bodies that some ignorant men made about the better half of our species. <laughs> Presently, he's making a comeback with more life experience and insights combined with professional development and maturity. And we'll also find out what he's been doing under the radar. With that, the Fry It Up podcast welcomes Manfred Moore, but Ooh. the world knows him better as Manny Moore of 20 Fingers. How are you? Yo, what's <laughs> up, buddy? You? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, our life's always good on my end, man. Good talking uh, to you. How's life treating you? Well, everything's great right now, man. You know, just um, just working, you know, never stop, nonstop working, doing a little of this, a little of that, you know. So, <laughs> well, what yeah. have you been doing for the last uh, decade or so? Well, uh, I've been in radio for 20 years now. Um, I produce, I have my own agency. I produce commercials and I do voiceover work across the nation. So I've been doing that for the last 20 years off and on, you know, doing, still doing a little music here and there. Um, Just recently acquired, uh, right now, 20 Fingers is um, the, the label owned the name, but right now, we yeah, have it. Yeah, we're, we're going we to get to that. Yeah, we're going yeah. to get to that. So mm-hmm. why are you doing, you've been doing the radio for a while. You say you've been doing some voiceovers. How'd you get into voiceover, VO? It, I don't know. You know, um, uh, it just is just one of those things. There's a, a really uh, a solid guy by the name of uh, Rick Party who does uh, radio. He's like, he's a Chicago legend, basically. And he's a great voiceover guy. And one day he just told me, he said, man, you know, your production skills and your voice, you know, you got a lot of energy in your voice. Cause I used to do uh, a lot of different things, you know, for the radio station. And he just said, Hey man, you know, you need to, you need to get into that and, uh, and take uh, and try it out, you know? And 
I did, and it worked, and I've been doing it ever since. So give us some of the examples of the VOs that you've done over the years for Chicago Radio Land. Oh, man. Uh, anybody that's from Chicago and knows Urban Radio Power 92, they know who I am. <laughs> Everybody knows who I am in the streets of Chicago. I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty well-known guy out there. I do I like a lot that. of business with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people who do events and and uh, parties and and concerts and you name it, you know. So you are a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm a celebrity, but people know who I am. Yeah, you know what? I, and I, they uh, respect me too. But that's even that's even better. Yes. I, I, some of the, uh, you know, because I listen to radio a lot. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I grew up with radio, so I listen to a lot of talk shows and that sort of uh, thing. And, where are you, you from? Know, uh, which decade are we talking about? <laughs> if you pick a decade, I'll tell you. Yeah, otherwise, it's such a broad question. I don't know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> which decade would you like to go? Which decade would I like to go? Yeah, no, no. Which decade Not, are you asking me in terms of where, oh, where am I oh, from? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I was just thinking, uh, I don't know. Don't don't even get me started because, <laughs> you know, that's like uh, spinning a wheel of fortune or something. <laughs> yeah, I lived in different places. Oh, yeah. Different decades. So when uh-huh. people ask me, you know, where you're from, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck or anything, but I don't know what to right. tell them. So I, I finally right. figured out, you know what, maybe if they narrow the question to, which right. decade, you know, uh, then I can give them a proper answer that, you know, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. I mean, when you think about it, you know? Yeah. You uh, know, some people who have never left their county. Yeah. Much yeah. less, much less their state, which boggles yeah. my mind because I've been all over the world and in different parts of the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, when, and for them, it's an easy question. Where are you from? Well, I'm from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, that sort of thing. That's, mm. and that's the end of okay. that conversation. But when you ask me, well, uh, are we talking about 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s, yeah, yeah. 2000s? You know, that sort of thing. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, you, you st- I take it you still live in Chicago, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the Chicago land area. Uh, Chicago is a little too dangerous. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that was my follow-up question. If you're from yeah, Chicago. Yeah, I, I, you know, when you want to raise your kids, man, and you got to, I had to pull my family up out of there because, uh, you know, it's pretty bad. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like that because, you know, of course, I'm not in the Midwest in general yeah. or Chicago in particular. So, I, you know, only thing that I know about is what I hear or read from the news. But it seems right. like Chicago has really gotten uh, Whew, uh, man. dangerous. It's scary. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I sent you Michael Jordan up there in the 90s trying to clean you guys up, man. And then what happened after that? Uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> hey, during those times, you know, it wasn't that bad. Exactly. <laughs> maybe he needs to. Maybe he needs to come back or something. I don't know, but uh, well, let me tell you. But the reason I bring that up is uh, when Jordan was a freshman in college at mm-hmm. North Carolina, I was a senior. So I, you know, I, I know who he is. We won the championship that year. That's the right. thing. So, and of course, he went to the Chicago Bulls with Pippen, and you guys had some glorious. Uh, oh my God! Basketball. Uh, time for a while greatest sports time of chicago i can say i mean that for me that's the greatest uh, sports era for chicago ever oh i agree and i finally you know chicago overcame that la you know matt uh, the persona with magic johnson and all it was yeah. great basketball yeah yeah that you know i've seen in a long long time yeah it was awesome yeah, yeah. and i also sent your quarterback two years ago 
new freshman called rookie quarterback, man. What happened to him? You're talking about who, who, which one? Well, that just, uh, the guy that's playing now? No, no, the, the he fields. No, the other guy. Uh, I can't remember his name now. After 7 p.m. at night, my brain shut. Oh, my up, God. But... I know who you're talking about. Man, oh, it, he was uh, he was in the same – he came out the same year as uh, uh, the Kansas City quarterback. Uh, I can't remember his from, name. From Clemson? Yeah, what's the kid's name? Yeah, I'm with you. He won the Super Bowl. He just won the Super Bowl. No, no, he didn't win the Super Bowl. He won it the year before. Oh, uh, man, what's the, the curly-haired guy? What is his name? Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so what happened to my quarterback that I sent you? Because he started uh, that season as a rookie a couple of years ago. Yeah, he did. Did did he He get hurt or something? He kind of bombed out. Because he he was was supposed to be a franchise player, you know? You got the whole Chicago Bears, uh, you know, got him for that. Yeah, he wasn't. (laughs) I I mean, what what happened? I mean, I I, I kind of lost he, he he, He just didn't make good plays. I mean, he he made a lot of mistakes, a lot of consistent mistakes over and over and he just never really grabbed it seemed like he never caught on so okay but that's too bad yeah i guess i guess uh we'll just stick with basketball then (laughs) man look and right now the bulls are looking pretty good here so we're we're very thankful you know we seem to have a really good team right now they're they're playing some good basketball so we're excited about that. that with that cold chilly wind over there during the winter months i mean oh yeah you got nothing you know at least the basketball will keep you inside having a good time, right? Basketball games, yeah. Yeah, football games, you know, I go to a few, but man, oh, man, let me tell you something. I've been to some of those Bears games where it was oh, bone chilling, huh? below <laughs> zero, man. And I mean, I, I've, I left one game in like the third quarter and they were and they were they were losing. And then I found out that they came back and won. I was so, so upset. But boy, 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 my, I was freezing out there. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine nowadays, but back in the 60s and 70s, Minnesota, uh, yeah, Chicago, yeah. I mean, Green Bay. Green Bay, you guys mm-hmm. played outside in the snow, yeah. you know? In the snow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, you, had, you had to not only fight the, uh, your, your opponent, but also the weather during the whole entire Yeah, quarter, that's man. true. And imagine <laughs> uh, imagine the teams that had to come in to Soldier Field and play those games that were from warmer states like oh, yeah, Miami, like Miami. Yeah, and, exactly. and Georgia, I, you know? I always felt bad for Miami when they went to Chicago. I said, you know what? You're fighting two battlefronts <laughs> right there, man, not just one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. San Francisco, too. <laughs> San Diego, also. Uh, all oh, all yeah. of that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, you grew up on the streets of Chicago, right? Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. uh, tell us about your, uh, you know, growing up childhood experience. What was it like? Uh, it was pretty bad. You know, I mean, we Talk grew up very, it. we grew up, we grew up very, very poor. We had a lot of challenges. You know, um, my mom was living off of a, a monthly income, you know, and. From Uncle Sam. Huh? From Uncle yeah, Sam. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um we got through it somehow um yeah we got through it somehow you know and um and then i went to the army uh, i made it in the army thank god to uh uh because that's i believe that's what saved my life there's a gentleman his name was charles knox he was uh hold on we're, get, we're gonna get to charles knox okay we're gonna get, yeah. we're gonna get to charles so knox. you know uh, i've been blessed because I've had 
God put people in my life in certain stages of my life that helped me through a lot, you know, and um, I, I, I was just blessed, you know, I, I went to the service. And, did you know, enlist when you were 18? I did. I did. Yep. I, and I was in there for six years, but I fucked up a lot. You know, I'm allowed to curse on here. I can curse, right? <laughs> you already did. It's just okay. I know. But I, I don't. It, is it okay? It's up to you, man. It's up to oh, you. Okay. It, does, it doesn't bother me now. What was Excuse your MOS me. when you were in the Army? I was a 91 Bravo medical specialist. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, where'd you end up uh, going? I was, uh, let me see, uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia. Is that where you did your basic? No. Uh, There's no uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia no, basic. Uh, no, I went to uh, Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Oh, okay. For basic. And then I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Um, I've been to Panama, uh, Fort, uh, man, Fort, Fort Irwin, um, Nevada, um, Fort Hood, Texas. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. Fort Hood, Texas is huge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right, you, earlier you mentioned about Charles Knox. Now, he yeah. played a special part in your life. So yeah, tell yeah. us who Charles Knox is and, and how he impacted your life. Man, let me tell you. I was 15 years, 16 years old, standing on a corner, uh, begging for change um, so that we could, what we used to do is we would beg for change and we would give it to one of the winos to go get a bottle of wine and then we would share it with them. So I was standing out there and, and I had a, I had a bandana on my head and uh and uh, he came out of the liquor store and he asked me, he says, why are you standing out here on this corner? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And I was looking at him like, who the hell are you? You know, and he he just he he started talking to me. And, um, you know, he's he, he, he was asking me questions, you know, that because I, I didn't have a father in my life all my life. I never knew who my father was, you know, so I, I, my I didn't have uncles. My mom was born in Germany. So all her family was from Germany. I never met them and I never knew my father. So I didn't have family like aunties and uncles and stuff like that. So that's where the streets came in. You know what I mean? So your father uh, met your mother. Well, your father's in the army. And met I, he was in the air force. Yeah. Air force met her. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and I never knew who I never knew his name. Like she don't even remember his name. She just knew him by a nickname, you know. Yeah. What are those things in life? Hey, it is what it is. But I'm thankful, you know. I mean, so you were standing outside the liquor store, and then this Charles. That's what I was doing. Him. He came along and he started talking to me about different things. And, and during that, you know, during my younger life, I was always uh, I used to write poems and stuff like that. But when you're growing up in the streets, you know, writing poems and being creative and stuff like that really don't go with the streets. You know what I'm saying? I mean, unfortunately, we didn't have the foundation. You know what I mean? For that. You know what I'm saying? We it was. But, you're, you know, you're a special guy if you get if you get into poetry and write poetry. I mean, that that's. Yeah, uh, I was I was doing that as a young kid, but I, I stopped. You know, yeah, but then, yeah. you know, he started, yeah. he asked me, he said, what are, what do you like to do? I mean, what do you like? You know, you, you play sports. I I, yeah. I played football when I was in high school for the, you know, when I was there, but basically 
you know, he said, he said, what is it, music? He said, I said, oh, yeah, I love music. And, you know, because I was, I wrote songs, you know, as a kid, as a young adult, uh, you know, teenager. You know, I had a, a notebook, you know, full of stuff. And so um, that's how he, uh, he actually really got my attention, you know, because at the time he was um, working for Columbia Records. He was where he was a, he was at the time he was a road manager for the motions and earth, wind and fire. Oh and man. These guys. Yeah. So, you know, that was really great. And then, you know, um, so I showed him some of my songs, you know, on paper and he actually, he was a songwriter and, 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 and producer himself. And he actually used some of my lyrics for one of his songs. So, you know, at that point, that really gave me, it let me know that it just spoke to me, but I was still caught up in the streets. So he's also the one to talk me into going in the army. And uh, because, you know, literally I was headed for either death or prison. And, um, and, and, and I joined the army, which saved my life. There he is, Mr. Guardian Angel. And then when I got out the army, he was there. He had a studio. And we will be right back after this important message. back up a little bit because i want to get your full story out so at least when you recommended the army you, you know you had, you had a place to eat and sleep for six years so that was a good thing the other thing is yeah. that um, you said you wrote composed music now you didn't have any musical training or anything like that right you just kind of wrote it down by yourself yeah yeah i had the melodies in my head you know and i could sing the songs melody wise mm -hmm. you know but at gotcha. the time I wasn't playing any instruments. Right, right. gotcha. Okay, that's want to get that out of the way because uh, you, you didn't have any formal training, but it's just no. kind of innate. It comes through your head. All right, yeah. so when you came back out, you met you back up with Charles uh, Knox. Yeah, yeah. He had a studio, and um, he gave me a, a, a keyboard. It was a Univox, a raggedy keyboard. It had keys missing. <laughs> but um, I banged on that thing for over a year and kind of taught myself how to play enough to write songs. And that was the beginning. Gotcha. And, and then his studio taught me, you know, how to work in a studio, you know, and uh, in terms Richard, of recording. Huh? Yeah, recording Richard uh, with uh, him, Charles Knox, Richard Lexi. My guy, right. Tommy, Tommy Miller, who was in the group Maximilian was in the army with me. That's where me and him started, you know. And um, but you, when you went, when you we met Charles and Richard, they taught you in the studio how to how to use the, how, to, how to use the equipment. Yeah. OK. And, yeah. And, and somewhat produced too to some degree, especially Charles. You know, Charles was uh, he was a structure guy. So he came from the real, you know, uh, musical era where you went to the studio with a band. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. recorded. You know, the old, yeah, the old school. 
Yeah, yeah. And I learned how to do that. And uh, it was just, uh, it, it was, uh, it, it was great. You know, I mean, that was, that's, that's my beginning. My everything started uh, with Charles Knox, Richard Lexi and Tommy Miller. That was the beginning of my of my growth in this music business. I mean, it sounds like when you met Charles Knox, he was an angel in disguise. He was he was a guardian angel, man. He, he gave was, me when I got out the army, man. He got me a job. What was that? Uh, working at a place called Ace Holes and Rubber Company, a factory. He got me a factory job. I worked there, and then worked my way into sales. Now, you when know, you look back on it, why do you think Charles did that for you, Charles? He was, I don't know. He was, he was a special dude, man. He just. Was he a white guy? No, no. He was a black guy. He was a brother, man. He was, he was like, he was like, he was like my father. He was like between my father and my brother. You know what I'm saying? He was about 13 years older than I was. He was a brilliant man. Charles was the first person, first, believe it or not, uh, African-American that I ever and I, I was ever around who could, who was, who could survive in the streets. And I'm talking about with anybody. So you're respected then, for that. Oh, absolutely. That. So but then that. at the same time, this man was a walking thesaurus. He was, he could speak on, on so many levels and he used big words. And I used to, <laughs> I used to, listen to him talk and I used to look at him because I never heard any uh any of us talk like that you know because of where I came from and everything you know I didn't have uncles and you know big families and this guy you know he just he just gave me something when I when I when I looked at him I said that's what I want to be you want to emulate him. I realized that it was something else for me. He really, he made me realize that, that where I was and what I was doing was nothing, Yeah, you know, was going to kill me or get me, you know, life in prison or something. So he so, became your role model. Absolutely. He became a lot of things. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, throughout my life, you know, God rest his soul. He's no longer here right now, but he was... You know, you know, he he stood by me through a lot of stuff. And um, and uh, we we wrote a lot of songs. He's still, you know, a part of what I do to this day. You know, um, I would never be here if it wasn't for him. Yeah. But you, you also know? respected not only what he has accomplished, but also because you knew that he came from your kind of a background because he had that mm-hmm. toughness. He had that streetwise yeah. sense. Yeah. And yet yeah. he still uh, was able to do other things that you were not doing at the time. So that's why you wanted to emulate him and become like Yeah, him. I respected him because he didn't take no shit. Yeah. And he, car- and he carried a pistol, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all did. <laughs> in Chicago, you need it. <laughs> yeah. But this is in 1975, 76. Yeah. I know. You know, I was uh, 15 years, 16 years old. You know, and I carried a pistol and and I carried a pistol because I was uh, I was a runner, what they call a runner. You know, yeah. I would run stuff back and forward, you know, and Charles was really afraid for me because he knew 
that I had to go through neighborhoods that were really bad to, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But I was making money and I was really good at it. And I was fast as lightning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he helped me see, you know, that I could really be a lot more. And he really gave me like the music thing. He really like made that. He planted right. the seed for me. Right. He gave a vision of what is possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had his own equipment. He had his own studio and everything. And and that's basically where I learned, you know, my uh, my craft, you know, gotcha. working with him and my guy, Tommy Miller. You know, Tommy Miller was in Maximilian, you know. So Tommy and I go way back from the Army. We met in the Army. Talk about the group that you composed called Key Parts. <laughs> Key parts, man, key parts was, that was, uh, it was me, Sidney Miller and Anthony Portis and uh, Sidney Miller's actually Tommy Miller's brother. And uh, we started key parts, uh, man, I, I don't even remember, I think it was in 87, 88, something like that. And we worked our butts off, man, singing and dancing. And I wrote all the songs and shit i wrote all the songs i was doing most of the choreography and plus booking the show. Was doing everything but it was um you know these guys they were out in the streets too and it was really hard to keep us um connected you know for rehearsals and stuff and it was tough because i was the only one that had a car <laughs> and i always had to find them and blah 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 and then we signed a deal uh we signed with uh with uh, Hurley, actually, Steve Hurley. Yeah, Steve Silk, Hurley. Yeah, well, not him, but the label he was on, ID Records. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and was, uh, uh, when you write these songs, were they kind of like a pop songs? What, what kind of songs was it, rhythm-wise? They were, th then they were uh, R&B and hip-hop-ish, you know, um, even but but I was but I I was I was a pop songwriter but because I grew up in mostly listening to mostly urban music you know back then um, you know um, Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis Teddy Riley uh, L A M Babyface Keith Sweat um, these were these were uh, late eighties nineties early nineties so that's really where you know, where I was, uh, of course, Prince, you know, um, man, you name it, you know, um, and, you know, in Chicago, it was, um, you couldn't do anything out of Chicago unless it was house. Everybody was like, man, you got to do house. That's all Chicago has is house, house, house. This was before R. Kelly. So that's what I did. Why was that? Why was it? Have to, why did it have to be house? Well, I, you know, <laughs> I really don't know. But at the time, um, during that period, house was the biggest thing coming out of Chicago. So uh, Chicago was known for house music. And that was basically what it was known for at the time. Right. Yeah. And during that time, uh, a lot of the music that you composed or created uh, ended up being used on different projects without any credits to you. Is that about right? Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about that, man. Yeah, well, 
um, you know, I ran into Steve Hurley when I got back uh, from the army and uh, him and I kind of grew up together. We lived like, man, I would say probably a half a block away from each other. And um, so when I came back, I, I, um, me and uh, Tommy were together and we were working out of Chuck with Chuck Knox and uh, and, and Rick uh, Lexi and um, I bump into Steve and I started talking to Steve about what I was doing. But at the time, we weren't on their level because we didn't have the money to, you know, to buy the real good studio equipment. So our demos were kind of like, you know, not great. Sure. But, you know, uh, played Steve some stuff and he said, yeah, come on down. And we went down uh, as a group, key parts. And uh, of course, the other guys fell off. So they ended up saying, hey, we really want you to stay, you know, um, but we want you to stay as a songwriter and, you know, hopefully a producer. So, of course, I'm, yeah, whatever, you know, I'll do whatever. Let's go. And um, I started writing there and did some things uh, with Keith Nunley, Seasons of Love, Jamie Principal. Savage. Uh, Shante Savage, Kim, Kim Sims, did Kim a lot of stuff. M. Doc, Donnell M. Doc, yeah, John L. Rush. And, you know, um, Steve Hurley and I worked together for a while together, side by side. You know, Steve didn't even, Steve didn't know how to play chords and stuff. You know, so I taught him, you know, chords, how to do chord progressions, pop chords mainly. I taught him how to make hip hop beats because he didn't know how to do that either. And, uh, you know, <laughs> as time went on, I started hearing like my <laughs> style of my, what I was doing on his stuff. And uh, I didn't get any credit for it, you know, but there was also times when I wrote the song and it was submitted with my name on it. But when it came out, my name wasn't on it. And to this day, so it was a lot of bad business. And I, I'm not going to blame it on Steve Hurley because, you know, um, the label people were very, very, very just, just, they were yeah. just wrong. Yeah. Well, whatever yeah. happened to Frank Rodrigo? I mean, what was his, uh, what was his, well, what, was, what was your take on his take? It's such a crazy story because, during this period, um, when everything fell apart with Steve, you know, Steve found out that Frank was doing bad business. So Steve got the Holy Ghost. You explain that for people that may not understand when you, you see know, all got of a sudden Ghost. he saw God and, <laughs> you know, he saw the light and, you know, man, you know, I'm gonna make it up to everybody, you know, this and that. And what it really, what really was is that I think he found out Frank Rodrigo was stealing from him. But when Frank Rodrigo was stealing from everybody else, I don't know whether it was okay of him or not. I'm just saying that none of this <laughs> stopped until he saw the light. But anyway, he, he said, hey, man, you know, I'm going to make it up to everybody, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. None of that shit happened, you know. Uh, but, you know, um, he he just he he got the Holy Ghost and he called me up one night, you know, because, you know, at, at some point I was like, dude, you know, you he called me up and he says, 
He says, hey, man, I need your help. I need you to, I got to get my equipment because he was leaving, Frank. I need you to come, show up with a couple of your guys, you know, and help who me. Call, who called you? Steve Hurley. Okay. So I said, okay, I bring a couple of guys with me. We drive out there. My car was a piece of shit. <laughs> and we drove all the way out to Brookfield. And we went in there and kicked the door down and and got his equipment and um you know and of course naturally people are taking some things other things here and there well uh i think that frank was getting ready to sue steve or whatever because what he did was even though it was his equipment the way he handled it was wrong so it's a big deal and so steve mentioned my name as you know and now at the time I believe I had, I was dealing with some issues with the law. So Frank Rodrigo calls me, no, uh, Larry Sturm, his engineer, who's one of my, was one of the greatest engineers ever to come out of Chicago. Um, and great dude too. Larry calls me and says, hey man, you know, you got this equipment, you know, blah, 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 this and that. He says, look, what you did, you know, everybody's going to go down and Frank wants to have a meeting with you. <laughs> and this is a true story. So basic Frank told me that if I didn't come work from him for him again, that he was going to press charges. OK, what kind? what kind? Well, what? Kicking in the door and, and <laughs> okay. taking and taking shit. So. Uh, you know, it was the last thing I wanted to do, but I got to say that even though he was the fucking worst, 20 fingers wouldn't be 20 fingers. Without how, how so? Why man. is that? Talk to me. He, he, I had a meeting with him and, um, and they dropped the charges and I told him, okay, I, I'll come work with you. He says, I got two guys. I got one of them's from New York and one of them's from Chicagoland area, the DJs. He says, I want you to come work with them. He said, they got, they're pretty good track guys, man. He was like, I said, okay, all right, cool. All right, great. And you're talking about Charlie Baby, right? I'm talking about Charlie Baby and JJ Flores. Yeah. So I get there and I meet them for the first time. And, um, you know, immediately, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I know why I'm here. I'm here to make records. You know, these guys, they're not songwriters. They're track guys, you know, basically. Yep. They weren't songwriters. And, and, and they weren't, and I'm not going to say that they weren't songwriters, but let's just say they weren't as prolific, gotcha. you know. So he brought me in to pair up with these guys, you know. And you're talking about Frank Rodrigo, right? So I got in, I came in there, met him and everything. And, and we will be right back after this important message.
ask you a question. How did Frank know Charlie Baby and uh, AJ I Flores? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I do not know. Um, but um, I got there and we met and everything and, you know, introduced ourselves. And um, believe it or not, uh, Elisa B was there. She was a writer. She wrote Rochelle's song, Praying for an Angel. And um, I met her and uh, uh, they they weren't using her at all for anything except for writing this freestyle music. So I, I asked her, can you sing? She said, yeah. So she played me some stuff. I said, you could really sing. So I was like, why aren't these guys recording you on anything? Well, you know, everybody was caught up in a specific kind of look and style, you know, like an artist had to be a certain, had to have this certain image. And at the time, Lisa B was very humble. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't, you know, she wasn't flashy or, you know, she wasn't an artist artist, you know, she just had the gift. And so I started working with her. And when they start seeing, I start taking their tracks, writing songs and putting her on them. And when they saw, that's how I, that's how I got their respect, you know, and they were like, oh, wow. You know, so, um, remember, one, do you remember what you did? What song? Um, uh, damn. What was the song? Nope. Okay, go on. For the love of you. Okay. For the love of you, I'll do it. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a really cool song. And it was to one of J.J. Flores's track, Flores's mm -hmm. tracks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, we're just, you know, they, they were working on an EP at the time. They were going to drop this EP. Mm -hmm. This is how it all began. So listen closely. <laughs> so, that's the radio dj coming in <laughs> that's it baby <laughs> so um they were working on an mp i mean uh ep and charlie comes to me he says hey man i got this track but i don't know what to do with it right now it's just a track he says um charlie's a nice guy i love charlie that's to, to this day him and i are we we talk every other day yeah he's a sweet guy go ahead yeah, he's he just a great guy yeah, he is. And um, he says, man, I got this track. And um, he said, I don't know. I, I just need something, a hook or something. So I said, oh, okay, cool. So I went in the studio with him and he plays the track. And um, uh, if you let him tell the story, <laughs> I love Charlie. But Charlie has this story that he has, he said something about some kind of I don't know. But anyway, the way it <laughs> happened, the way it really happened, Charlie, Charlie, he's listening. <laughs> he's listening. <laughs> no, but honestly, so um, I just started singing it. Uh, the short dig man don't want no short dig man. I started singing it. So I said, oh, my God. No, no. What happened was we, we did. We had a discussion. We were like, I told him, I said, I. I want to write something for the women, you know, I mean, every song, not every song, but a lot of songs are, you know, really trash women. It would be a great, great. So I said, I wanted to come up with something that was just so you just couldn't deny like that would immediately, I don't care who, what kind of guy you were, this, these three words would cause some type of, emotion in a guy whether it oh, yeah. be 
visceral visceral reaction yeah yeah there you go so uh so that's how i came up with the hook and then i wrote all the jokes and everything and we needed somebody and we didn't have anybody what happened to lisa b why didn't you use lisa b at the time lisa b was she didn't she didn't fit it she didn't fit it you know at the time she didn't fit that that so jj has knows somebody uh and she worked at a uh, i think it was a medical center she was a receptionist so he brings her in sandra gillette yep so you know she her personality was so amazing and i asked i said so what is it you want to do she said she really wants to be an an actress you know i remember that so i said okay great you're perfect i said come on i need you to act this out you know so she they the the label paid her like a hundred bucks to just come in and do it so she came in and she did it and we were like this is gonna be this is gonna be so much fun in the club <laughs> we just thinking this is gonna be a club record you know so um we took the record uh uh uh, Frank Rodrigo. We, uh, at the time, it was was it ID or SOS? I'm not sure, but Frank took the record and sent it out to the DJs. And, and hold, on, let's, hold on, now Sandra Gillette was she hmm. actually singing the songs, or was that a voiceover, or was she just acting? What's the deal there? That's her. No, that's her voice. Okay, that's her. And okay, that is it. her voice. That okay. that is that personality and everything is mm-hmm. all her. And it's you know, available on, on YouTube, people. You can see it. It's called Short Dick Man. Short, or short, Dick, short man. Either short, way. Short man, yeah. The G version is called a short, short man. Yeah, yeah. That okay. was a clean version. So, so then he, you yeah, took it to the radio. Yeah, well, he, he sent it to the DJs. Mm-hmm. So Tim Spin and Shomer got to clug my man. Okay. What's this again, brother? Man, make sure we get Tim Spin and Shomer. Uh, started playing it at a night club, a nightclub called Kabooms, I think it was in Chicago. And uh, uh, he was spinning the record, and he he calls us. It was a Saturday night, and we're in the studio working. And he calls us. He says, "Guys, you got to get down here." <laughs> he says, "You got to see this." He said, "I've never seen this before." He said, "I played your record." He said, "The first time I played it, the girls." We're looking, he said, <laughs> and 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 looking around and they were laughing and everything. He said, I played it two more times. He said, now they're on the floor and they're <laughs> waving their hands and they're singing. So I said, okay. Um, okay, so we scheduled uh the next Saturday night, we scheduled to be there. And man, we we witnessed it and it was amazing. And um, then we knew that we had a record, you know. That was going to do pretty good, you know, in the clubs, at least. <laughs> so naturally, the label had to call Sandra back and offer her a contract. OK. And, and they did. Now, now, when you said when the, your man took it to the DJs, what was the best that you guys were hoping or expecting? You know, we we wrote the song just expecting it to be something in the clubs that the ladies were going to have fun with. That's it. We never knew that it would become a cult. Have this record would have a cult following, and even these days, 
it's viral, right? You know, it's still viral on TikTok. And I think it was like one of the most Shazammed records on IG or something at one time. Well, there were no other records like it. So it's obviously understandable. And what yeah. happened was it took off locally. But not only that, it took right. off nationally. And then he went overseas. Yeah, international. Yeah. 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 She toured. Uh, she toured the world at least twice. I mean, that record really did its thing. So after we did, um, after we did that and we start seeing it, so, so, he, so Charlie's, we're excited. So Charlie says, Hey man, I got a, I got this track. I want to get to you. And he sends it to me. I mean, he gives it to me and, um, I, I wrote it that very night. I wrote, I wrote it and uh, I actually did the demo on a, a four track cassette uh, thing. What do you call it? The four track? I don't know what you call it, but yeah, real to real. No, it was a cassette. cassette? You know, okay. the, the four track, the little four track cassette thing, recorders. And um, was it Mr. Personality that you're talking about? Lick it. it was Lick It. Lick It. Okay. Lick It. Mm -hmm. So um the, the story about lick it man and let me tell you something these stories are very very they're they're a trip because the original ruler was a young greek girl she was 19 her name was ruler her real name is ruler she's the actual original voice on the record on the the, the first like six thousand copies of that record on the lick it yeah, she did the song. You know, she recorded the song. She just happened to be there and she could sing enough to do the song. So we recorded it on her. And, you know, everybody was excited because it was like, oh my God, this record is, this is going to be a hit. You know, they just kind of. So uh, she was about to get married or something. <laughs> and, and, and she didn't want to do it. So she told the label, hey, we're not, you know, I don't want to do this. Uh, you know, my family, you know, I, I can't do this kind of song right now. Of course, we were like, what? <laughs> but uh, the label bought her out. So then we had to find another singer. And we had to make, because it had already been released. So we had to find somebody who could sing it so... Same, same, uh, same tone. Tim Schomer. His name, there's his name again. He had a lady friend. I believe she was his girlfriend at the time. Her name was Holly. Holly was a tall, very pretty, sexy, uh, blonde young lady who just had a great personality. I mean... Make a good video, man. Huh? Good video. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, she was she was very pretty, and and she had never done this, just like Gillette. It's amazing. So, uh, she, the song had been out. She knew the song. She knew it verbatim. And when we when she came in, she sang it. She sounded exactly like the record. So we recorded her on it. <laughs> so there's very few people out here that still have. The original with Ruler. Uh, one of those original ones. And when you can compare it, you can slightly hear the difference, you know. But um, so that that was history, you know. 
we put Holly on this record and she she just did her thing. She had never done this before, done this before ever in her life, just like Gillette. And both of those women took this and did they did awesome, you know? And it was just amazing to for us, you know, especially for me, because I'm an artist developer. That's what I do, you know, I deal with everything. And it was just amazing to see this come together the way it came together for us. This is the end of part one. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in the next time for part two. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing to our podcast.